0: Welcome to TechNado with Don Pezet, featuring sysadmin expert Don Pezet, DevOps engineer Justin Dennison, security specialist Daniel Lowry, and Peter.
1: Hello and welcome to TechNado with Don Pizzette kind of, but Don Pezet's not here this week, but... We're going to do all right with that, and we've still got Justin Dennison here. Justin, how are you?
0: I'm doing fantastic. I'm not in my little room, but I'm missing my fan. I just noticed right before we started, so I'm hoping I'm not glistening with sweat, but maybe I need it.
1: No, it stays nice and cool in this room. We're in the same room, but we're, we're across. We're you a know, good, good 20 feet from each other, so safety first, but it, it's nice and cool in this room. And, and Daniel, you, you doing all right over there in your little den? I can't complain, thanks. Okay. Oh, Glad to have you. All right. And it's a good thing you're here because we we have some security stuff to talk about. We actually have uh, the one and only Alex Kirk with it. Well, I shouldn't say one and only because uh, I looked on LinkedIn to get his profile and there was a lot of Alex Kirks, so it took me a minute. But we've got one of the top Alex Kirks available today with us. How you doing, Alex? Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. And we originally met you, was it b Tampa? But you're, you're not down in Tampa, are you?
2: No, I'm not of Atlanta, um, but I had been covering the seven state southeast, so doing the B-Sides tour in that region.
1: Sounds good. Well, let's get to know a little bit more about you. Um, You know, you work for Coralite, and it's a great place, and we want to learn all about that. So let's just jump right in with our first segment, Rapid Fire Questions. Who do you
0: work for?
3: What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you?
0: All right, Alex, we have five minutes to get through these rapid fire questions. You're going to have 45 seconds to a minute to answer them. If you go over time, Peter's going to buzz you and we're going to move on. And Peter's going to take our first question.
1: Yeah, I am. All right. So we're, we're kind of looking this month at uh, how people got started in IT and, and helping people along that journey. So I'm just curious for you. You know, I looked, like I said, I, I found your LinkedIn finally and was able to look back at, at your history. So how did you get into IT? Uh, where'd
2: you start and, and how'd you get to where you are today? So my uh, father actually fell into being a programmer in the 1980s, and so I always grew up around computers. Uh, we had the TRS-80 Model 3 uh, at the house back in the day, and I always did it as kind of a hobby. Thought I was going to end up being a professional journalist, um, and then realized in 1999 that hey, I was good with computers, and this .dot com thing was probably going to be something. And I was paying more a year to go to school than the average starting salary was for a journalist in this country. So I uh, made my way into web work for a little while and progressed into security over time as I realized that I didn't want to be one of those guys who got their website owned and was distributing malware out to the public.
0: Well, uh, speaking of, of all that fun times, you're currently at CoreLite. You've had this nice little journey. Can you tell us a little bit about CoreLite? What what do they do? What What is their their proposition, so to speak?
2: So uh, CoreLite has been based around the commercialization of the open source uh, security project, formerly known as Bro, now known as Zeek. Uh, that was actually funded by the National Science Foundation for 20 years. Um, Congress uh, got it as one of their greatest hits in a hearing a, a couple of years back. Um, but when that grant money finally ran out, they decided to sell enterprise services and appliances around it. And, and we are now taking a step forward into the detection market. Um, and adding some new capabilities around uh, IDS and other things to come that I'll talk about a little further in the current ventures piece.
4: That's pretty cool. I uh, got the chance to see you guys uh, present in B-Sides Tampa. It was really great. So uh, we appreciate the, that time and effort. Now, this is a pretty crowded market when you talk about network monitoring or just uh, monitoring in general. So asking for a friend, <laughs> how does Corelight separate itself from the pack? How What makes it special in that industry?
2: So, really, the underlying technology is an industry standard. Uh, It's taught in SANS courses and Cisco certifications and has really been um, the, the gold standard for being able to get everything that has happened on your network in a reasonable metadata style format so that you can have kind of that complete evidentiary log of everything that's occurred, um, but only coming at about 1% the size of packet capture. The folks at Berkeley, for example, where it came out of have 20 years worth of these logs laying around. Um, And so it's our ability to really correlate all that data and bring it into uh, a place where analysts can quickly go through and understand exactly what happened um, and respond to things like IDS alerts considerably faster than they would without all that surrounding context.
1: So I'm curious, we've talked to a couple of people in the last uh, couple of months when we've been dealing with the COVID-19 issues. Have you seen any change in uh, in you know, the way people are using your product or the, the types of attacks that are out there? How has this affected um, your industry?
2: So the attackers haven't really changed tactics too much. Of course, there's plenty of um, news-related spam where they're trying to get you as a COVID-19 lure to go hit a phishing site or an exploit kit. Um, but where it's really made a difference is in the distribution of employees and their networks. Instead of having a big central office to go monitor, a lot of folks are now at their houses, uh, and maybe they're coming in through a VPN, and you can get them at a choke point there. But if it's a split tunnel and they talk to the internet, then you'll have really no visibility unless there's you know, some piece of software that you can bring into a home network to do the level of monitoring you're used to at the enterprise scale.
1: So follow-up question, what do I do if I did click on one of those emails asking about the testing online and I filled out, did it just burn my computer now?
2: You're
4: asking for a friend again? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: same Daniel, same friend.
4: Go
2: free your credit, sir. Um, but, you know, also, uh, you know, make sure that, I guess, all the patches are installed on all of your operating systems and pieces of software because... A lot of the time, uh, you click that link, you get that nasty page. If you're up to date, um, nothing's actually going to succeed, and the attacker is going to move on to the next softer, underbellied kind of client. Client.
1: Like I haven't been clicking. Wait until tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> for the last. Years. Oh, I
0: thought you were going to say like I'm not. I don't have a soft underbelly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, real quick, I got, we got five seconds. Yeah, go. What What was the impetus for changing the name from Bro to Zeke? Do you know?
2: Uh, so the whole bro culture, um, and the, the issues of sexism in the industry were a bit much for the folks at Berkeley that this project came out of. And so they decided to avoid that connotation and move on to something slightly more politically correct.
1: See, I'm just waiting for brother printers to <laughs> follow suit. That <Those> <laughs> was good. I, I it was funny. Thanks. Yeah, that, you know, those are good jokes too. When people are like, that's a funny joke. <laughs> I'm Blue not going to lie. I'm going to that down. Hold on. Mind. Can we take a break? I yeah. got to write this down. I got to put a
4: helmet on for those kind of things, man. You got to warn him, brother. I mean, man.
1: sorry about that. Uh, all right. Well, let's go ahead and, and while we have a security expert here on the show with us, uh, get to our next segment and look at who got pwned this week.
4: Looks like you're about to get pwned.
0: Fatality.
4: Yeah.
1: All right, so I was actually browsing on the sysadmin subreddit on, on Reddit and saw some people talking about this and then went and found this article. Um, so we got an article from Engadget here. A cyber attack forces Honda to suspend global production for a day. The company detected a virus on internal servers in Tokyo. And they were saying um, on the, the sysadmin forums that it takes like, they had to go to each server and it took like two hours to, you know, put the patches on or fix whatever they needed to fix on that. And that's kind of why they were just like, Hey everybody, go home. We we can't be be working anymore. But Daniel, do you know uh, kind of what what kind of attack this was that we we're dealing with? No, I, the only thing the article explains
4: is that it was a virus of some port that, that uh, targeted their servers and that it discovered it um, on Monday, I believe.
1: So I'm, I'm I take so it I Alex, not it's a client. A bit, uh,
2: That's it.
4: That's all it says. Yeah. The so the link behind it, uh, well, it came I from the Financial Times. It didn't. It gave us a paywall there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead, Alex.
2: Uh, the the independent over in the UK was actually claiming that it was a ransomware family that had hit their internal boxes, um, and they've apparently had ransomware issues in the past, so it wouldn't be particularly surprising if history was repeating itself.
1: And you'd assume in a case like this that uh, that someone as as big as, as Honda has you know backups and offsite and and things uh, segmented, but I guess you know I don't know that process. Even if you're hit with a ransomware attack. I mean, it, it it still takes you a lot of time to, to go back and, and restore from that. So is that kind of why that, that might have been the case where they send people home for the day?
2: Well, absolutely, um, because you've got a lot of scoping to do to understand exactly how far that piece of malware spread inside your network. You've got to make sure that you know what pieces of the backups to be restoring. Um, you've got to, you know, also be clear that once you've got the boxes that were hit cleaned off that they're all the way cleaned off and that they're not continuing to beacon out or, you know, otherwise cause problems that might result in a, a further flare up of the malware within the network. Yeah. So
0: Honda has a bunch of Peters saying, wait till tomorrow. Is that it, it what we've <laughs> surmised from this? It's like, yeah, just hold on. I'll get to it tomorrow. And boom, uh Oh, we got to quit making civics. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh But, I mean, as far as malware targets, this seems like they got a chunk of change. So, I mean... Well,
1: if they have the backups, though, I mean, you're not necessarily... They're not paying, probably. Yeah,
0: but the thing is, is like, think about all the high-profile companies that you're like, of course they have great IT practices. And then they're like, well, actually, we don't. We regret to inform you. My bad. We're full of a bunch of people. Yeah,
2: well, and that's the thing, is just to assume that a company is competent at security because they're large is an absolute fallacy... Um, I've worked with a number of brand name companies over my decade plus in security, and some of them do a really good job, and some of them do a really terrible job. Um, And, you know, (laughs) the question is, yeah, kind of how how they fall on that scale and how they're going to deal with the disaster recovery from a network perspective.
1: Yeah, there was a an update. Uh, looks like today from Honda spokesman that says you know they experienced an attack and it uh, affected production. However, there's no current evidence of loss of PII. Um, so they lost all the non-personal identifiable information, probably. Or, what's it, interesting, it says it actually like affected um, not just internal servers, but things on their inspection lines and stuff like that. So, I mean, I guess that's the issue now when you have these factories that are. Uh, you know, com- completely digital robotic things along the line is, you know, it, it's not just affecting the financials and things like that. We're we're shutting down the whole assembly line because because of something like this. So that's a little scary. It, I would think
4: in that industry, that would just be like a safety precaution just because you don't know what the malware is going to do. So you would hate for someone to get hurt because the malware even
1: inadvertently did something to the machines. Like, yeah, I guess it could make somebody. it onto the car you right. know, with so much software in the cars these days. That,
2: right. Uh, what does... I mean, it's, it's unlike given the architectural differences in the car software and hardware versus what you have on a, a standard internal server somewhere. Um, but, you know, what could be happening is there's just enough convergence between the production networks and the IT networks that you had a system that resided on that production network get popped and was causing problems um, just doing it, scanning and other tricks inside, even if they weren't necessarily successful. And that would be enough to you know, shut down what is often a very fragile IT infrastructure for uh, SCADA and you know manufacturing sort of setups. Um, I've seen things fall over just by being telneted too. Um, so you'd be shocked at how easy it is to knock over a manufacturing line. Mm-hmm.
0: Does Honda have like a financial services like their own, like Toyota has their own bank. Like so. they can do their, uh, you know, like I go buy a Toyota. I'm going, I can finance with Toyota. Is that true for Honda?
1: I think they do. I, I'm because they're, um, you know, they have a few brands and yeah. and obviously, you know, outside of not even just outside of cars, but a few car brands. So, well, yeah,
0: I was just wondering, cause it said not much PII, but then if it was inside of manufacturing facilities, would that just be employees or do they keep records for, transaction they wouldn't keep those together right i wouldn't think so but but that's why i was asking if they had like a financial services yeah
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm assuming, you know, they, they keep those things pretty separate. But as Alex said, uh, making assumptions <laughs> about an organization just because, uh, you know, how high profile they are, how much money they have uh, is not necessarily a good thing. But uh, hopefully they they get everything worked out there. And, uh, you know, we'll follow up, um, you know, normally on a situation like this, we get some more details in the, in the coming weeks of what actual attack this was as they're able to you know, kind of get out of triage mode and get into uh, reporting some of that back. So we'll definitely uh, look for that. Uh, hey, Alex, I know, uh, you know, obviously we we talked a minute ago that uh, before we, we started the show that you guys don't have the normal trade show schedule and things going on, but uh, you actually are doing some, some virtual kind of things. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the most exciting thing we're doing right now is our capture the flag exercise, uh, which is more of a blue team than a red team capture the flag like you would think about traditionally Uh, but the idea is it's a two-hour session open to the public every tuesday and thursday um, where you have to go in and use our data to answer a series of questions about what happened to machines that were compromised hit with a piece of malware how did they spread internally what was the command and control like all the kinds of things that you would expect to have to do uh, in a real network security analytics role uh, with live data uh, using tools like Splunk and Elastic. Um, so that's uh, definitely something that we've, we've had a lot of positive feedback on um, and is a lot of fun to do because it's straightforward enough that even people who aren't really into network security can get through um, you know, at least the basic round of questions. Uh, we've got sales folks that have made it through, so it, it can't be that hard. Um, <laughs> but there's enough meat to it on the far end um, that people who actually are in the industry um, can, can really get down into the weeds as some of the more complicated questions and, you know, have some fun along the way. Uh, with of course a scoreboard and we're giving away Amazon gift cards and all that good sort of stuff too. So it's a little bit of competition to go along with your learning.
1: All right, well, I'm, I challenge you, Daniel.
0: Well, if if sales can get, I mean, obviously marketing can get in yeah. there, Peter. You should get over there.
1: Marketing's like smarter salespeople. <laughs> yeah. Basically, so
0: I'm, I'm in. <laughs> oh man, what? Yeah, I'm getting a call. Yeah, <laughs> this is, this is going to be bad. We got to stay in the podcast for a hot minute. <laughs> and then uh, you also
1: mentioned uh, you're rolling out a, a
2: Raspberry version of your product. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we're we've got a software sensor version of the product that's designed to be deployed. Um, just as an application on top of a Linux operating system, so that you could put it into, you know, whatever branch office or other remote site might not have the full infrastructure to demand a hardware appliance. Um, and so that is something that um, is a little bit less of a public sign-up. You'd actually have to contact somebody at CoreLight and ask for one. Um, but given that, you know, folks are having a hard time playing with things on corporate networks right now because they can't even get into the building we wanted to give people an opportunity to see what was going on and use our technology on their home network. Um, and be able to notice things like their, you know, Samsung smart TV talking DNS up South Korea or whatever other strange IOT things may be running around people's houses these days.
1: So we were talking last week about the the new, what was it? The eight, the eight gig? Yeah. The eight gigabyte, uh, gigabyte Raspberry. So maybe, maybe this is a reason to go ahead and get that one. We yeah. can monitor our network a little bit faster and, yeah. Uh is it a six what it, that did sixty-four
2: bit? Is that right?
0: Yeah, that also came with a sixty-four bit yep. uh operating system. Yeah. But that's that we don't need that for, for this, do we?
2: Uh well I mean you would you would need to install something like a Raspbian or whatever other uh Linux runs on top of um the Raspberry Pi. But honestly, we can get you guys loaded up with an SD card that has everything ready to rock on it. So you can just plug it in. Um point your data export to somewhere where you can actually capture logs and then be able to see that complete record of everything that's happening on the network.
1: That's very cool. Yeah. And that's, that's neat about the capture the flag too. I mean, it's, uh, I, I know, like as they joked, you know, being on the marketing side, everyone's scrambling to figure out new ways to engage with people. So that's, that's definitely a cool one because it's, you know, not just good practice, but, uh, it's a lot of fun too. So,
2: um, you know, maybe we will and right. play with that a little bit and I'll, I'll see, I'll put it to the table. The the one other thing that I want to mention that's exciting for Corelight right now is um, for anybody who is familiar with the Suricata IDS project, it's an open source, um, similar to Snort kind of a technology. Uh, We're actually going to be announcing that uh, as available, integrated with Zeek on our appliances as of next week. Um, And that's distinct from something like a security onion that's been running those two open source products side by side in that they're actually very deeply integrated Um, we've got a there's a uid in the Zeek logs that ties all the different protocols together that's been expanded into suricata alerts so it's very simple to take an ids alert now and have a single pivot point into that record of all the network data that gives you the backup to be able to figure out whether or not something is a false positive or you really need to raise a red flag and go turn it into an incident.
1: Awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. And yeah, breaking news right here on TechNATO. I, I pretend that we were the first person to, uh, that you told, I don't, don't, <laughs> don't, don't ruin it for better. me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but hopefully, uh, I don't know, if maybe we'll see you at B sides again next year. If
2: that's a thing and we're allowed out of our houses. Sure. I, I'm supposed to be speaking at Orlando B-Sides in November. We'll see how the uh, coronavirus situation is by then.
1: Sounds good. Yeah, we uh, definitely might have a presence at that as well. So uh, thanks so much for taking the time with us today and uh, and joining us.
2: Absolutely. Been a pleasure.
1: And uh, stay tuned, everybody. we got a little bit more TechNATO coming up right after this break.
3: An IT team that's upskilled and ready for any challenge. How do you get there? Join thousands of other IT leaders and let IT Pro TV be your resource. With more than 4,000 hours of IT training, IT Pro TV gives your team a resource to go to. The most popular vendors CompTIA, Microsoft, Cisco, Linux, Apple, AWS, and more. The hottest tech, cloud, security, networking, and more. What's next for your organization? Whether it's an implementation, cloud migration, more workstation support or new technology, you're covered. With IT Pro TV, you can rest easy. Your team will always be ready. It's binge-worthy learning for IT pros. Get a free trial for your team today. Visit www.itpro.tv/business.
1: All right, welcome back to Technated with Don Pazette Without Don Pazette this week, uh, thank you to Alex Kirk for joining us there. And uh, we're going to go ahead and jump to the news, and and hopefully, I mean, last time Don wasn't on the show. We, I mean, we were talking Scrooge McDuck uh, and, and the logistics of him diving into gold for a good forty-five minutes. So we'll see how long this stays on the rails um, without the one adult figure.
0: So what room. I heard is, are y'all ready for some
1: fun? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Uh,
4: yeah. So we're just going to watch episodes of Thundercats for yeah. 30 minutes.
1: I don't know how that works with copyright. If we can just... If, if maybe how about we watch it, it, it and we kind of play-by-play?
4: Play. Yeah. Yeah, because
0: then that's a, Does that count as a derived work? I think sure. it does. Oh, yeah. It's
1: yeah. There's satire. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. All right. Well, our first article is over at threatpost.com. FTC slams children's app developer for COPA violations. I can't remember what what is COPA the Children's Online Privacy and Protection Act. I think that's like right. That. So were they uh, just all kinds of uh, vaping ads to kids? Is that the problem? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: so they were apparently uh, without the knowledge of the parent or the child, were collecting data about children users that were inside of applications. That were obviously meant for children. They had, you know, silly animals, used words like silly and, and things of that nature. Apps that were geared toward kids and they were collecting their their basically their personal information, anything they could. Like that camel cigarette mascot. And, and I, I wanna say, if I'm if I remember reading the article correctly, it wasn't necessarily a Hyperbeard's app. It was the ads within the app. So they were like, oh, you know... Well, oh, but they're
1: still responsible for it. But they're
4: responsible, right, because it's their app that is the vehicle.
1: Oh, yeah, it says the ad network's in right. question, ad colony, ad mob, app lovin', et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. yeah when so- your company's
4: called ad mob, <laughs> I mean, that's a red flag right there, I think. Vungle, yeah. app core,
1: iron source. I'm not making these words up. Fiber <laughs> yeah. with a Y. Yeah, app lovin'. App lovin'. Mm. That's a mm. character in Superbad, mm. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? So
4: I'm, I'm I, I saw this article and I was pretty happy to see that the FTC was busting them over this kind of stuff because the fact that we're being monitored, you know, here I'm a security guy, right? Like you get wicked paranoid and you think, man, that Alexa over there, I'm gonna smash it with a hammer, <laughs> you know? I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna turn off everything. Actually, I did look up on my phone because I know my phone listens to me like all the time, right? And I'm sick of it uh, trying to advertise to me whenever I talk about some random subject. And next thing you know, I'm getting ads about it. Uh, you can get, I, I noticed this, I plugged it into my car auxiliary the other day and then I, I, hollered at it to, to do something for me and it didn't hear me. So I'm like, maybe it's just too loud in here. So I yelled it louder and it just ignored me. I pulled that cable out and it heard me fine. I was like, Oh, this cable had three prongs on it. So you can actually go and buy little plugins for your, um, like disable your, the mic. Yeah. And it'll yeah. disable the microphone because it's, it's looking for an external mic at that point. And shuts off the internal mic, so that's a nice little 10 fifteen dollar purchase that'll help keep these kind of things from happening. But also course, put the, a little
1: yeah, Phillips head down there, and
4: then and f- with a the hammer and just smash. Yeah, and I've always said, good way to shut it off: throw it on the floor hard as
0: you can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or to try to bring it back on, I hear that dipping it in uh, a lake also is effective ways to shut oh, off the yeah. mic.
4: Yeah, that will shut that mic right off.
0: This is one of those uh, this this whole Copa thing. Uh, whenever I've ever I've built applications or someone's asked me hey how do you build this i go yeah so i've had many times people were like oh i'm gonna build this ad for kids or this i'm like
4: nope i'm like
0: nah nah there's a lot of nah that's hard you ever notice like are you under 13 yes or no that type thing um but i i would suspect you'd be surprised how many like websites and stuff probably don't do this well as well it just so happens that maybe this is the The starting point of others going, hey, we might get fined. We should probably figure this out.
4: And I absolutely hope that's the case. That was the the point of the article for me was like, stop, think, and don't just let the drive for profits. Uh, Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm a capitalist. I believe in. People being able to make a living and make profits and stuff, but not at the expense of people's privacy. And
1: yeah, you're like, but I'm also a father, right? I <laughs> am, I am a, I I am know, a yeah. father, yeah. Few so,
4: times over, yeah. You're like, what is that kid watching over there?
1: Well, that and that's what I I worry about. I've got a 12 year old daughter, and I worry about the the games that she plays sometimes, not because of the game itself, but b- it's because of the ads. Because, uh, well, shoot, I remember when she was like four years old and had her her mom's phone, and she accidentally, um, booked a, a week long <laughs> diving vacation and. It's, Serious, dead, nice. dead serious, because it was on like uh, uh, not. Uh, I think it was Living Social or one of those like the Groupon kind of things, where all of a sudden, like you got the email confirming it. Oh yeah, and they we're like, hold up. Yeah. <laughs> no, Peter's like, so we were in the Caymans, and I'm like, man, I can't believe you did this. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how you're going to pay for it. Yeah, I, but uh, sure yeah, is. I mean, it's the ads that are scary because they don't, you know, at, at that age or, or younger, they, they don't understand. Uh, the difference between what's trying to manipulate you and and what you actually I, have to do and click on
4: I think it should be illegal for like children's applications so if you if it is something that where you have to put copa things in like are you under 13 I think it should be illegal to put in in-app purchases like inside mm-hmm. the actual application maybe there's an area that's for parents like if you like this game maybe the, your kids will like these games or these things and here here's ways for us to make money I get they're trying to make money but My kid doesn't know at five years old not to click on an advertisement. And then, like you said, next thing I know, I'm in the Cayman scuba diving.
0: I wonder if you could even, (laughs) uh, I mean, it would be more overhead. So people making money be like, no, Uh, create like a secondary management dashboard for the parents, like a parent portal, right? For a lot of other kids apps. And that has to be required. So you go, mom, I need more candy crush coins or whatever that is. And they go, well, well, I'll buy it for you. Click. And then those accounts are linked. Uh, I could get on board with that.
4: Yeah, just a little something to keep them because my, e- even with because the, they have such small hands and everything, and they're trying to hold onto the device, they can accidentally click on stuff. And it's, of course, they're right on the edges. A lot of those advertisements are right on the edges of the screen. And They suck at reading. Yeah, Sometimes. not great at it. <laughs> honestly, point. honestly, yeah. you drive a good point there.
0: Reading's dumb. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean, I do too. So, <laughs> uh, this next article is from Ars Technica. Very good. Thank you. I've uh, uh, been working Yeah, Super dumb. Uh, <laughs> this bot hunts software bugs for the Pentagon. Champion of the 2016 DARPA contest at DEFCON, now mayhem gets used by the military. That is pretty cool. Um, you know, you you go in, and, and win a prize like that, and they just go, yeah, you, you work for us now. You're...
0: <laughs> I mean, they, they got that government money. They got well, they, that military money. I'd probably some, go with it.
4: That's some stiff competition. They weren't the only ones to, like... Vie for that product. Other other nation states were after it as well.
0: I'll be honest with you. I had a really petty reason for putting this article in the queue. This is my article. Um, I got I got distracted by the first couple of paragraphs where it found a bug in Cloudflare's like image processing. Oh yeah. And it was like crashing their image pre-processing routine. And they were like, we would have never found that. And all it did was like throw up a bunch of like black and uh, gray gray pixelated squares. And they're like, well, can we see that? They're like, no. And I was like, well, why couldn't you see the, the image? Why? How would I know what's going on with the image? Um, but from what I read in the was article, it a QR code. I mean, that's what yeah, it sounds right. like a bunch of. Oh man, I just that's that's Cloudflare's bank account. Maybe it was. <laughs> um, but then it goes on to talk about other parts of like Mayhem has become part of Cloudflare's standard security suite. But the goal is to help. Mayhem was created to help. Individuals identify software bugs faster, so you could fix them faster, uh, And from what I can tell, it is a, a very complicated fuzzer, uh, but I could be completely wrong about that. So don't quote me, I got distracted by, "Oh, it crashed the, the image preprocessing part, but you know, maybe we need to let it loose and see what's making no sounds) <laughs> <laughs> I see. See Peter
1: looking around. He's like, "What is going Hey, for once, that's not me. I think that's the computer that uh, uh, is showing the the article there that's making some. Yeah, but-
0: it happens. Um, it's not entirely clear. I didn't do additional research on, uh, like mayhem,
4: but in your defense, reading is dumb. Yeah, Have it is. It
0: is, and it it kind of deviates in the article. So it talks about mayhem, then it talks about the contract, then it talks about fuzzing a little bit just in general because it's not even talking about mayhem from what i can tell
1: can you give me that term a little bit i don't i I hadn't heard that so fuzzing
0: fuzzing uh i just start throwing garbage at you and see what happens and then if i'm really good at it i can construct like pointed like data and go well if i give it this what happens oh it crashes oh that's cool um so it's just I'm running through input to try. So it's to different
1: describe. than a DDOS. It's not trying to uh, crash it with just overwhelming amount of information. It's seeing if that, like the, the specific information, will yeah. cause something.
0: So either, and I say crash, but just have some weird anomalous behavior. So maybe I can construct it to where it takes a, a weird code path and it returns information that it shouldn't, like a database dump, or um, I get technically. I guess they could have found out. Did they find out heartbleed with fuzzing Daniel, or was was that was somebody observing that?
4: Uh, I'm not 100 percent on that. Um, like I know, we don't that, know what know all that, this data is. Do you want root access? Yeah, <laughs> I know that fuzzing is used like in in the spaces that I work in is to and basically you're trying to see if, if you can make an application crash. It's not necessarily like kind of like what Peter was talking about. Not so that the application will crash. Cool, I can do that now, so I can create a denial of service attack. But ultimately it will lend to something like exploit development. So I've given it some input. It did not know what to do with said input and therefore the computer crashed because it didn't know how to handle the error. That being the case, maybe I can leverage that to, uh, this is where like buffer overflows, stack-based and whatnot come into play. So if I'm able to crash the program by giving it weird input or input that it doesn't expect or too much input, then maybe I can get to uh, an overflow situation and get remote code execution.
0: The fuzzing was the first technique. The second technique, uh, and fuzzing, you know, for those of you who aren't there, you just throw garbage at it and see what sticks. Or uh, there's a different saying where I come from, but we're going to keep that off the podcast. Uh, The other one was symbolic execution, where it generates a mathematical representation of the target software and tries to surmise more complex issues that may arise by analyzing that mathematical model And it said that has mostly been used in research labs, but that makes sense because mayhem came out of Carnegie Mellon, which is a huge computer science research facility. So um, They're smart. Yeah, they are smart. But I got distracted by pretty pictures. Ultimately, it's always good to be able to track down software issues faster than the bad guys can.
1: Well, thank you for clarifying what fuzzing meant, because that means something totally different in the furry community.
0: (laughs) Uh, Jeez. (laughs) i, don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, man, it's, it's, never mind, nope. <laughs> See, I'm just trying to bait Justin yeah, Like, yeah, Don's you know, not right. here to stop you. Go ahead, John. Just, yeah. yeah Scrooge
4: McDuck dressed up like a furry on a Thundercats episode. That, that's, <laughs> that's actually my furry
0: costume. So, real quick, does that mean, would he still be a furry since he's a duck? I mean, if he dress, like, what would he have to dress up by? like? You're saying if Scrooge McDuck?
1: Well, first of all, dudes walk around without pants on. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. So, I feel like he's already children. prepared for the convention.
4: <laughs> Where's Copa when you need him? Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right, let's go to our next article. Uh, hey, when
4: you're rich, get away with stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. You can. That's what I've heard. Uh, over at Linux dot slash dot dot org, Brian uh, Lunduke explains why Linux sucks in 2020. Um, Hey, you had me at the title there, Brian. Um, well, I, that could be because I've... I don't know if I've ever actually... Used Linux? Well, I, I can't, I can't <laughs> say that because so much runs on it. You know, like things that, that you don't think about. You're yeah. not using the Linux interface. But I don't know if I've ever like used a mouse in Linux and, and uh, Linuxed before. I'm not sure if it's a verb. Um, so I'm not the best to uh, say whether or not I, I agree or not. But uh, all I hear normally is like love for Linux people that are... Uh, you know, loving on it. So, can anybody uh, agree with his take here? So,
4: I'm going to be straight up. I accidentally overlooked this article and didn't get a chance to read it.
0: Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, apparently, this is something that he does. Like, he's a, a prominent Linux user, he works in Linux. But is it he, satire? Uh, it uh, kind of. So, the, the closest thing for me that resonated were um, these series of talks about JavaScript. And just all the weird idiosyncrasies that crop up, and and so he talks about, hey, yeah, it works. I do it. I make money doing it. But it kind of does have some some raw edges, some kind of sharp corners. And uh, you know, you gotta love slashdot. They give you this like chunk down piece, and you go, oh, okay. Um, and then boom.
1: Well, he's guess- he's really mad about how long it took him to set up Railroad Tycoon Two uh, <laughs> to run on on Linux. So. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's not necessarily mission-critical stuff we're talking about here.
0: So, here's the thing. If that's your main complaint... <laughs> yeah, things so are pretty good. That's kind of like going, man, it took me a real long time to shoehorn that 454 Chevy into my Honda Civic. Number one, because Honda was down because they got hit with some <laughs> malware. Number two, they that. had no idea what I was doing. And you know what? Hondas, they suck.
4: Yeah. On this big
1: well, and I think that's part of the thing here. I, you've got you've got certain distros of Linux that are made for certain things, and so trying to do things that you know that that game was created and not ever thought about being put on Linux originally. I'm sure when it was created, uh, you know, and then people say, "Oh, I wonder if you could." And yeah, technically we can, but you got to do X, Y, and Z. So uh, yeah, it's not the right right process for things like that, but. Um, I you know I think part of this article too is just uh, I don't want to say clickbait but you know enticing headlines this sucks is going to get people to to go and and uh, read it except for Daniel I must say it really worked <laughs> on me
4: <So laughs> I was like blind to it honestly I was like what article are they talking about oh there it is so <laughs> I will tell you
0: I, I suspect Don would have a different perspective he but guess it. what yeah. he's not here and when I read this article everything that he points out is like this very specific use case. That bothers him. And I get where he's coming from. Uh, like, for instance, maintaining software on Linux is such a, a massive challenge now. Uh, we've heard about in recent TechNATO episodes where we're getting rid of 32-bit libraries, they backtracked. But if you're a maintainer of software, like critical software, boom, you got to change that, and now you become, it's like a second job. If this is free and open source software, you're probably not getting paid for that unless you're being paid by a company to maintain it, uh, in addition to like Python 2 to Python 3, going to cause other maintenance issues so i get his complaint there but him getting upset that he wants to make sure he can run civilization railroad tycoon 2 and SimCity 3000 um later on
1: who's
4: got time to play video games
0: having
1: (laughs) yeah not him because he's too busy yeah messing with linux here i don't know right well we got to move on because Uh, I don't know if you can hear the rain, but I'm worried the ceiling's going to fall in at any moment. (laughs) It's pretty... Oh,
0: yeah. Where you're standing, Peter, it it sounds like somebody's just hanging out there like with a fire hose going, yeah, I'm going to get through in a minute. I get it. (laughs) Yeah, they're coming for me, so... Uh, all right. So our next article is
1: over at ZDNet.com. Uh, Linux Mint dumps Ubuntu Snap. It's about time. I know, right? Get
0: yeah. over it. And uh, now that we're done with that, what's our <laughs> next one?
1: Well, I can at least read the subheadline here. <laughs> the, the popular desktop Linux distribution, Linux Mint, wants nothing to do with Ubuntu Snap software installation system. So I came to you guys before the show. I was like, hey, Don's not here. Are you guys going to help me out with this article? And you guys are like... I don't know, but, but, then, but then we actually had a little good conversation about it. So uh, what were you saying, Daniel, about the reason they were getting rid of this? Oh, so the
4: reason they were they decided to dump it was they were saying that um, something to do with Chromium, that the Chromium browser is blank and, or it's not filled out. So the application will actually reach out to one of the repositories, a Snap repository or whatever it is, because I don't use Snap. I use apt like a real person. And then it downloads Chromium and installs it. But to do that, obviously, you have to be running at administrative level so that you can install software. So it's, it's doing things as root without your permission. It's just doing it. And it's designed to do it that way. So they didn't like that. I can't say as I blame them on that. I don't like things doing stuff without my permission. Um, so is this mostly a
1: security-based move, we think?
4: It seems like... I think that's the impetus for it. And then it seemed like it moved to uh, you don't tell me what to do. And.
1: it's like a don't tread on me thing.
4: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) ultimately I think that's right. (laughs) Like as far as it shouldn't be performing administrative functionality where it's kind of veiled and, and where you don't really know that that's going on, it should be alerting you to those things and having your, uh, input on it, whether you actually want to do that or not. And then after that, it's like, well, if you're going to take that step, then, you know, piss on you. I just won't use you. So I don't trust you anymore. That's why.
0: This is one of those things where I have never used Snap as far as I know. Um, This is, I've always used apt-get or apt-install uh through Ubuntu or Linux Mint. Linux Mint is great if you have a user base that's yep. used to like a Windows box and you want to get something pretty close and you, and you don't want them to do crazy things. Uh, hey, Dad, how are you doing today? Um <laughs> <I'm not>. But... <laughs> The fact that when I type sudo apt install, I'm expecting like a binary package to come down that's maintained by somebody to be put somewhere and then it's vetted and I know exactly what it does. If I want to, I can go look at it is being circumvented by it's an empty package and it's pulling the old switcheroo. It's like the the, the redirect, right? Oh well look over here and, and then they're rifling through your pockets. And because that install requires uh elevator privileges, then that kind of gives them free reign. I mean, it is Google. I just, I don't know. I think it was more about setting a precedent than it was necessarily this one individual thing. Uh, but I've never used Snap. I don't think Peter's used Snap.
1: That's uh, going to be a hard to no know for me.
0: Yeah. I don't <laughs> think Daniel's used Snap. Have you, Daniel? That is a big negative. I think Don hates it with a fiery passion. <laughs> um, so I there's no love wrong. Loss I'm for speaking Snap on here. Don's behalf. He's not here. Um, but yeah, we've, uh, we've stretched out for three minutes. Yep. more than <laughs> Let's than what the article's title of requires.
1: Well, this is a good moment, though, to see if Don actually goes back and listens uh, yeah. to the podcast. So um, we're going to say Don is a huge Snap fan and is super upset about this, and uh, Don is all about Snap. That's right.
0: Matter of fact, he's got a petition started right as we speak. That's
4: yeah. right. He just wears a shirt of a fingers snapping.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. He like walks around like he's in West side story yeah. <laughs> all right uh, our final article for the day here is from uh, developers.lashdo.org IBM releases full fully homomorphic encryption toolkit for iOS and Mac OS.
0: you're incredibly insensitive.
3: yeah, uh,
1: sick I mean it's 2020. let's come on
0: guys. It took you this long. And we all just... We're probably going to get flamed for that joke. Yeah. Uh, but but your joke. We're just but, having a little ha We're there. just having a little ha But a homomorphism is actually um, a mathematical uh, relationship. And so what was really cool about this is homomorphic encryption, that's, the, that's, that's a, a pretty cool idea. Daniel and I were talking about it before the show. And effectively, if I have encrypted data and I want to, let's say it's like credit card transactions or medical records, and I want to do some kind of analysis on it, computation then I have to decrypt that data, do the computation, and then re-encrypt that data if I have to make a change, right? or I need to save the result. The problem is, is you have to decrypt that data, which is computationally expensive, and then you're going to be moving that data around or holding that data in an unencrypted form, which could be a problem. But with homomorphic encryption, I can more or less inject the computation into the encrypted data. And it goes, uh, and then it hands me back an encrypted result that I can decrypt and go, well, there's the result. Um, it's, it's pretty interesting. If you go read about homomorphic encryption, you'd be, you should be ready to, to dive in and get like a math degree. <laughs> um, cause it's, they're like, oh yeah, homomorphisms exist on the real numbers with plus and yeah. So I have a math degree and I was like, oh yeah, I haven't done this in a hot minute, but the the ultimate goal for this is to make it easy to build these tools for iOS and macOS. Um, IBM, you know, I, IBM, they brought Red Hat, right? That's the last time I saw IBM or heard about IBM, but I'm also not a great consumer of news. Um, yeah, I see, like I see commercials out. for IBM, but I'm like,
1: I don't even know what you're selling.
0: I, I know they own weather.com. Oh, I didn't yeah, know that.
1: Yeah. So... so you know, you just said you have a math degree, and you're also a developer. But if uh, if there's a, a a regular developer out there, say without a math degree, I see that this is available now on GitHub. Um, I mean, to implement this, I don't need to really understand the the, the
0: underlying. No, this, the whole purpose is is to make the make this a little easier to develop. Um, the these tools for iOS and macOS. I just got really excited about the math part. And yeah, because I'm building an app for kids.
1: Yeah, <laughs> hey, So sure. it's
0: funny. This would be this would be great because you're always going to have that data encrypted. Huh. Uh, that does not mean you're compliant with COPA and I'm, or FERPA or any of those. I'm Don't take that away be like, yeah. Justin Dennison said on the Tech podcast where he also talked about Scrooge McDuck that <laughs> I would be COPA compliant. And reading's dumb. <laughs> and reading's dub Yeah.
1: All Justin Dennison quotes we can yeah. reuse and play. Actually, that was my
0: bad side. That's Dustin Dennison. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> your, your cousin. Oh, old cousin? He's a guy at a Hardys you met one time. <laughs> oh, bro. Yeah, I've told you that story, haven't I? Yeah. Uh, Peter? What? Oh, we got time. We
1: got yeah, time for this we story. Tie. You got
0: a minute 53. Do it. All right. This is totally nothing to do with homomorphic encryption. <laughs> Maybe. So Maybe it is. You ever Googled yourself and you go, wow, there's another Peter Van Rysdam.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, there's another Justin Dennison. Just so happens I have like a distant cousin that's also named Justin Dennison, whose mother's first name is my mother's first name. So I go to Hardy's late one night in my early 20s. I'm with my girlfriend. Uh, I come from a small town. We used to go late at night and get breakfast from Hardy's. They started serving at one in the morning. And I order. We pull up to the the window, and I hand my card, my debit card. And the girl goes, "Why didn't you call me back yesterday?" And I was like, "I'm <laughs> sorry." And she goes, "You're Justin Dennison, aren't you?" And I was like, "Uh-huh." She goes, "And your mother's name." Blah, blah. I'm not going to say my mom's name. <laughs> and I was like, Yeah. She was like, You hung up on me and never called me back. Mind you, my girlfriend is in the, cu- in the seat next to me. I'm like, Can I get my card back and my biscuits and gravy? I swear I don't know what happened. Yeah, you don't want to uh. eat those biscuits and gravy now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so this girl starts boo hoo crying. Well, come to find out, it was my cousin. <laughs> well, we went to, so we had combined high school and middle schools. When I was in high school, they also called my mother to come pick him up because they looked up the wrong Justin Dennison in her like student records. Oh man, I tell you what, it was some interesting times, but yeah. Now that you say it, those biscuits and gravy, that didn't look like gravy. That was spit. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that was spit. Biscuits and spit. That's right. Yeah. hair.
1: Well, good job fitting that story right in the, uh, in yeah. the allotted time frame.
0: Yeah, I, I, I got excited about it. A homomorphic encryption right there at the end.
1: You know, if uh, if Megan's listening and she's the one that that does the uh, the interview scheduling, let, let's see if we can get that other Justin Dennison <laughs> yeah. on here. Justin's doppelganger. One week. and uh, First of all, find out why
0: he didn't call her back. This has been Justin's like 14 life. years ago. <laughs>
1: I don't think so. But I did see so card he, at Hardy's. He had a fraternal
0: twin brother, right? So that, Jeez, they actually so didn't really look anything alike. Yeah. And I met him. He was working at a grocery store. I was like, hey, your brother's named Justin, right? And he goes, yeah. I go, does he look anything like me? And he goes, no. <laughs> I go, all right, so you should tell him to stay away from Hardy's. Because <laughs> there's a girl there that uh, will get him. has got a knife. Because he hung up on her. <laughs> He's
1: got yeah. lots of knives to access to all of this. Yeah. Uh, Hey, I want to let you know we've got a, a webinar coming up here very shortly. Next week, Thursday, June 18th. What IT certifications are right for you? Finding the right certs for your career goals. That's with Anthony Sequeira. Uh, It's taking place Thursday, June 18th at 2 p.m. Uh, You can head over to itpro.tv slash webinars, find out all about that, and sign up. You can also go there and get access to the video from last week that Justin did with Don, uh, Is a Career in IT Right for You, 10 Qualities of a Successful IT Pro. So you can check that out. That's now up in the archive along with, uh, I don't know, probably near 50 uh, other webinars from uh, from our past. So check those out, itpro.tv slash webinars. And also head over to go.itpro.tv slash technado. And that's where you can find a 30% off coupon code for your personal subscription. Lasts you the lifetime of that subscription. As long as you're with ITProTV, you get that same price. Uh, even if anything changes, you're you're good. Uh, we've also got a form there that you can fill out to request a demo uh, if you're part of a team and see all the cool things that come along with IT Pro TV for teams. That's over at go. slash technado. and yeah, be sure to uh, to subscribe and uh, and share with your friends, leave us a review, and and drop us a line, and we'll uh, you know we'll read it as long as it's not any more offensive than anything Justin has said today. Uh, I think <laughs> whatever
0: you say, offensive things as well. I don't believe that's happened, but yeah, I'd pretty you roll the tape. Right, yeah, can we get the tape back there where Peter says all those things about? <laughs> oh nope, can't say that. Have the feed? Of, <laughs> yeah, it's just a beep. <laughs> just me talking for five minutes
1: with the beep. No, but uh, that was fun. I think we, uh, you know, we, we thought we were going to go off
0: the rails, and and it stayed more near the rails. Yeah, all we right. were closer to yeah. the rails than anyone expected. Yeah, including us. Yeah. Probably mostly us. Yeah. Yeah, I'm shocked. Yeah. I mean, we had a good story in there a oh, couple of times. There's Don next to
1: us on the, uh, yep. the, the video of the ITPR TV website.
0: Yep. Well, anyway, Peter, it's let's look
1: go. Looks like he's here. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. And we'll see you back here next week, hopefully with Don, uh, right here on TechNATO with Don. Pezet. See you then.